0: And welcome to Episode 7B, we'll call it, The Sovereignty of God. With me today is Pastor Aaron Case, Pastor Jonathan Mitchell, and Pastor Gary Singleton, because they never left the table from our first time we started talking about this. They're still here. They stayed. They've been here a whole week. Uh, We actually, we didn't leave. We've just been sitting here the whole time. All right, gentlemen, uh, welcome back. And to start this off, what we want to do is give a quick recap of what we covered on last week's episode, and then just kind of pick back up where we left off and continue on through our discussion of the sovereignty of God. So Jonathan, will you give us a quick recap?
1: Yeah, so we we started off basically subdividing this topic into three sections, and then we covered God's sovereignty and creation, just looking at in the beginning was God. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and Pastor Aaron read for us Genesis 1, 1 through 5, and when God speaks, things happen. And so we see how God's word is powerful. You see how he's in control because when he, when he speaks something, it happens. And so we just talked about how that plays out through creation. We see that, we see that specifically in the life of Jesus. When, when he has authority over creation natural events, he, he does what he wills like calming the sea. And so we, we, went through that, talked through that. And that kind of led us then to see, okay, so if God is powerful, works by his word, let's see how then God is sovereign in salvation. And so we started from the place of understanding who we are before God, because of what happened in Genesis three, because Adam and Eve sinned, uh, and sinned before a holy God deliberately disobeyed him that now, because we are all born uh, under Adam, we are all sinners. Uh, Gary read Romans three for us and we see by the word that no one is good, not even one, none is righteous. No one seeks after God. We see the, the utter wickedness that that man is. And so we started from that place and that's, that's, what's really important because we, we live in a culture where we can get mad at God working sovereignly in salvation because we think we, we deserve grace. We, God owes it to us. We think it's mean of him to to condemn people to hell um, and, and only save some. But what we we started with the foundation is there's no injustice done at the hand of God. That's a really important spot to 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 basically build this whole case against because that's where Scripture really starts it. If we're dead in our trespasses and sins, if if we are sinners, then we deserve the righteous judgment of God. Yeah. And so either we, we get what we deserve or we receive mercy. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the really important. That's where we kind of launch everything. We say it a lot. Pastor Aaron, I think one of his favorite quotes, I don't want to put too much pressure, but you say it a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. It's going to be around. The only thing we bring to, to the table um, is the sin, which made salvation necessary. Yeah. Um, we don't bring anything else. And so, uh, as, as pastor Aaron talked last week, um, here at Eden chapel, we, we teach from a monergistic viewpoint that God alone works to save his people. We don't work with God. We're not synergists. We don't teach that way here. We, we talk that there's, we're not going to kick you out of the kingdom if you think that way. Um, and we just encourage you to, uh, get whatever you, you believe about this straight from scripture, not how you feel, nothing else. And uh, so that's where we we ultimately started is understanding. Okay, we don't bring anything to this. God is the God alone is the one who saves. So we read a little bit from Ephesians one, just seeing. Okay, this is God who works. He blesses us. He chooses us. He predestines us. He lavishes his grace upon us. He forgives us in Christ, and does all that he does all this. Not one, not one time in that passage does it say, "And you did." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in yeah. fact, when you get to Ephesians two, the only thing that we did is, you know, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. <laughs> and I think that's probably where a good place to, to maybe start today. Yeah.
0: And I, I want to say this. I did say it in the last episode, episode multiple times, is that this is an area of division amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and our goal here, uh, at, like it always is, is to point you to scripture. And so that is what we're going to do today as we kick off and continue talking about God's sovereignty over salvation.
2: And what we, what we truly want people to understand, and, and we do have a love for those who would disagree with us, but what we truly believe is on the line and, and, and why we believe this so passionately and why we teach this way and why we try to walk through our lives this way, elevating the sovereignty of God is because we believe God's glory is on the line. Yep. We believe in the way Scripture teaches that every part, as Johnny just said, every part we owe to God, mm-hmm. and so therefore there is no boasting. I one thing that used to drive me so crazy, and I know we've all done this, but like when someone turns to Christ on in their family, posts it on Facebook, I see so many times, and it's just so cringy when people say, "Well, that's the best decision you'll ever make, man." Mm-hmm as if God is just a ch- one choice ab- among many. No, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not one choice among many, he's the only choice. And when you understand, when your eyes have been opened to the depth and wretchedness, again, of your sin, you will make the choice to follow Jesus because God opens up your eyes and you see not only the depths of your sin, but you see the beauty of your savior. And so you turn to him freely because now you've been freed from your sin by the grace of God. And now he alone receives the glory for your life and for your regeneration because it's an act that he brings about on his own.
1: So can we talk about that distinction? I think it's a pretty important one. I think Charles Spurgeon says it's the, the dueling truths, Um, the sovereignty of God and salvation and the free will of man. How, so how, how does that work? How will we explain that to someone who's looking in Scripture, going, okay, well, how am I? How do I trust Christ if you know if so you're saying, a I don't have, yeah, right. I'm a robot, right? Yeah,
0: yeah and this 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 is a big argument um, in Christian circles, in our own area uh, that we know uh, from personal experiences that this has been a decisive issue. What is the difference between well, do I have free will or uh, did God just go through and choose a bunch of people and what do we do? Uh, if he's already got them chosen, then what's the point of what I do?
2: Right. Well, boy, those, those are all great questions. And it leads into many others that I hope we can, we can cover today. What we would say is, yes, we do believe in free will here. We do. We do believe in free will, but we believe that God is the only one truly free as in a sovereignly uh, free will. God is free to do anything he pleases in line of, with his character, which is holiness and righteousness. As a creation, we are free only with creaturely free will, meaning if we are still in Adam, if we are still in our sins, then the scripture is very clear. All we will choose to do is sin. With our freedom, we use that freedom to choose that which is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. But when we are freed, when the spirit regenerates us and we see the goodness of Jesus and we freely choose him, we choose him because we've been freed to do so. So we're not, we're not made to do a thing, but we do freely choose. It's just, we are not able to freely choose freedom when we're still a dead slave. Yeah. If that I think, makes any I, sense.
1: Yeah. I think the picture I try to paint uh, when I'm talking about this to maybe students, going through this type of doctrine for the first time is you're, you are free in so much as we have to understand we're either called slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And so when we think about being enslaved to sin, think about, okay, yeah, you might be in prison, but there's still choices to be made, but you can only make those choices in so much as you are in prison Mm -hmm. And so think about that in light of sin, because we're born into sin, we're born in Adam. Then I'm bound to that sin. I'm enslaved to it. And so, yes, my choices are free, but every free choice I have will be as a slave to that sin and so or as a slave to sin. And so we talk about we talked about this a, a long time ago. I remember in youth is outside of Christ. All we do is sin. And that sounds like a pretty absurd statement because you're going, well, Jonathan, I know, I know people who have built hospitals that aren't Christians. I I know people who have done great things. You're telling me that that's a sin. Well, the scriptures say so, that anything not done from faith is sin. And so what we have to understand is if we do anything and it's rooted in a motive, motivation, that's not to glorify Jesus, then it is ultimately sin, no matter how quote unquote good the act is. And so that's what I would say is what, what God graciously does when he opens our eyes to the light of the gospel is by his power and for his glory, he makes us a slave to righteousness, a slave to Jesus. And now as pastor Aaron said, that free will is to do what God calls us to do, to live holy, to, to be upright, to, for our lives to be conformed to the image of Jesus.
0: And I want to go back to um, a verse that we read in the last uh, last week's episode uh, from Romans chapter 3. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. And <clears throat> that part right there um, seems like something that would be difficult for someone to understand because the way that we view it, not we as Eden Chapel, but as Christians oftentimes, and we've again discussed um, in prep, you know, we all kind of came from a similar background. Um, the way we would see it is that, uh, you know, the person chose God. Mm. They, they sought after God's salvation, um, but that's, that's not what we're saying here today, that that's, that's not possible, um, that it's God's sovereignty that allows that to happen.
2: Yeah, outside of His grace, that's right. Like only by His grace can that happen, and and once once we are when we come up against that, it is so such an attack on our pride. Yeah. Because no matter how pure our motivations are, we want to say we had a say. You know, I mean, that's it's built into us as Americans, like. We are generally, we want to say, we did this. We built this with our hands. We did this. We had a part in it, you know, because that's just who we are. That's part of the American dream, building yourself up, you know, pulling yourself out of your own bootstraps up, right? Like, like the whole deal. But what scripture teaches is a total demolishing of pride that's within yourself. And the beauty of that is, is that it points you to one who is other than you, outside of you and above you. So it leads us not not to mope that we we aren't in ultimate control but to mm-hmm. worship because we then understand who we truly are outside of Christ and our desperate need for grace and
1: life to come from him so like the i think the difference we would see is maybe the two pictures that we we talked about the the two illustrations you have on one side maybe pa- painting salvation as uh your in the open water, you're going to drown. And at that last possible second, Jesus throws you the the life preserver. And it's either choose it and live or reject it and drown. And so that's one way to see it, which we would say is more the synergistic way. Is you, you choose and by your choosing, you know, okay, yeah, you wouldn't have it if Jesus wouldn't have thrown it out to you. So he, he did the work, but then he He did did all that, but then you grab on and that's how you're saved. Where we would go, the illustration is, um, dead people can't grab for life preservers. (laughs) And so we would say you're at the bottom of the ocean dead and Jesus goes all the way, brings you up and raises you to life. And I think that's the difference. I think that's why Ephesians two is such a powerful image of how the gospel flushes itself out is because we're dead in our trespasses and sins we we are uh sons and daughter of dis- sons and daughters of disobedience we're following the prince of the power of the air we are children of wrath but god being rich in mercy mm-hmm. uh, hey there it is jesus, jesus.
0: there <laughs> it is mm-hmm.
1: A jesus first great rich yeah. because
3: of the great uh, great love that which he loved us
1: Made us alive.
3: Made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. So He made us alive, and that's that's all glory be to Christ. Yeah. So that's
1: that's a monergistic Mm -hmm. understanding of the gospel. Is if I'm down in the ocean, throw me all the life preservers you want. I can't ever reach out for it because I'm dead. I need I need a supernatural thing to happen to me Mm -hmm. to be made alive.
0: What what a beautiful picture if we can get to that point where we can. You know, even visualize that analogy, to see that God and His power and His greatness—that uh, we we didn't even have to rely on ourselves because we couldn't. And the Scripture says that you were saying it just a minute ago: we are dead, and dead means dead. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that we could do. Yes. And that beautiful picture that, um, even though we had nothing, we had no ability to reach for it, that um, Christ came down and did a hundred percent of the work, not 99%, but a hundred percent of the work. uh, He was completely free, right? Yeah. He wasn't obligated. No, he didn't have to
2: do that. No, we were, the, the picture is always the, you know, those who are out there bobbing up and down, looking for a life raft, like Johnny said. But I think even another illustration is a king who has a kingdom and the subjects begin to burn it down. And in the, and in the midst of burning down the kingdom, they kill his son. Now, how many of those people is he obligated to save? Zero. Not a, yeah, Zero. I'm sorry, I didn't know. I, zero. The answer is zero? Yes. But, but the beauty that of it. like a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. Asking a question and just nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel right I at have, home. I, I feel, should
0: have just given the Sunday school. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah,
2: thank you. Yeah. The answer is always Jesus. But, but none of them did, right? But instead he did save. He brought those to salvation whom he chose yeah. freely. Like that's beautiful. Yeah. He had to say he had the right to save who he pleased because all were burning down the kingdom. Yeah. Yet rather than showing them what they deserve, giving them all justice, he brings grace.
1: And I think it's an important sorry, G uh, go ahead, G. No, go ahead, buddy. Okay. Well, I think it's important to say. That if if Jesus did ninety nine percent of the work and one percent was left to us, that would never happen. Yeah. Because we are rebels against God. Not
2: based on scripture. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, you know, I think gee, you're talking about uh studying Titus, you know. So mm-hmm. he saved us not because of works done in righteousness beforehand. So if if something was needed for me to do in order for me to be saved, ninety nine percent, yeah, done by Jesus, but one percent, if you can just do that, you'll be saved. I would never do it because Jesus doesn't save based on works done righteousness beforehand oh so, my gosh
0: so you're, you're saying like if we go back to your analogy that you made if Jesus did 99% of that and we did the 1% even though we knew we were going to drown that we would still not have reached for that
1: life yeah and perserver. that's that's the important part of seeing the wickedness of, of man and how evil our heart is in our rebellion we would say no yes e- even if we still were not up, from you yeah not salvation yeah. from you yeah
2: I'll do this myself I got this we see this in our world today yeah. Yeah. and yeah. one of the most I don't know if you've all heard this. I know some people who probably listen in our audience have, but one of the most terrible analogies that I've heard in my life many, many times growing up was Satan voted against you and Jesus voted for you. And you cast the deciding vote. Any system that gives Satan and Jesus the same amount of power is a garbage system, throw it away, go somewhere else and read your Bible. Satan is God's devil. He's under his control. He only goes on the leash that God gives him. Do not ever elevate creation to the level of our sovereign king. Yeah. That's disrespect to the
1: utmost level. Yeah, mm-hmm. Platt says it's not dualism, it's domination. Amen. <laughs> so there's that. Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take
2: that,
3: Satan. Well, sorry, I've been waiting... For a minute to talk, so I got man, a, I took a thunder. Man. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm excited, no, that's man. Okay. Johnny talks so much, I, and I, and I, I got this idea when you guys first started talking. It's just, you know, even what we think is good, you know, because some people think they can get to salvation or get through, get to God um, by their works, by what they do. Oh, they're a good person. They they they've done this really well. Um, they've achieved all of this. Uh, status in life they they're a great artist they're a great um uh, uh philanthropist they're a great um whatever and they're um and jesus plus anything is nothing jesus plus anything is nothing it's jesus and jesus alone Anything that we think is, even, even, even the things we think are good or as filthy rags to the Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, starting in verse 4, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who waits for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all, all means all, become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one, no one, who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And I say that uh, to say in John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says this, and I look, the Greek word for draw, I hope I pronounce it right, is helkuo. It means basically to drag. It doesn't mean um, I'm asking, you know, someone something. It means you're literally dragging someone to him. Jesus is dragging you to him. Um, So even even what we think is good is as filthy rags to God. And anything plus Jesus is nothing. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus doing the work. Jesus drawing you to himself.
2: Well, what, what gives God the most glory? I mean, if if we can honestly sit back and answer that with with all the feelings and all the built-in traditions and all that's involved there, if we can sit back and think what glorifies God the most, something that says that his salvation was only made possible on the cross or that he actually accomplished salvation on the cross. When I look at John 6, so many people look to Romans 9. I know John Piper calls it the tiger that devours free willers like me is what he said. But when I look at John 6, part of what you read, G, and most of that chapter, um, it just flows perfectly. Um, Jesus says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me will never cast out. I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of that he's given me, but should raise it up on the last day. So that's a perfect work of God. Those who are drawn by the father to the son, the son saves and they are kept by the spirit and the son promises to raise them up on the last day. Amen. Like that is perfect salvation. That is That is accomplished by Christ. That is not a potentiality. That is an actuality. And I know, I know the... I know the uh, objection and where it comes. I I believe they go to John 12 and they said, oh, well, Jesus says, when I'm I'm raised up, I will draw all men to myself. But that's not speaking in the same context. He's speaking about all men will one day, because Jesus procured the right for judgment, will come before Jesus Mm -hmm. and they will be separated, the sheep and the goats, and all who he has saved sovereignly will go into reward all those who have denied Jesus freely and lived for their sin and chosen sin will deny him and they will
0: go to their reward. Mm-hmm. That's good. So I think it's important to uh, maybe put some oppositional ideas or thoughts out there so that we can kind of discuss them because we all hear the same kind of things. Um, and you know, we kind of touched on one of those a little bit. Uh, and it's things like well if god has ordained in his sovereignty those or has chosen those and we hear words like elect and predestined and then why why are we doing what we do at church why are we going out and evangelizing why are we going on mission trips because if it's all decided if it's if it's already all decided what's the point because I think that's a that's an argument that you're going to hear. That's an argument I've heard. Heck, that's an that's an right. argument that I've right. made. Yeah, yeah right. at some point in my life, you yeah. know. And so I think it's I think it's important that we that we kind of discuss that and kind of redirect thoughts on where it needs to where we really need to be focused at when it comes to that.
3: Uh, to begin, um, with God uh, tells us to go. We are being obedient to the Lord when we do. Uh, go and proclaim his gospel to the world. Uh, in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on, and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, that means go,
2: All authority. Yes. and
3: make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are to go because Jesus Christ told us to go. Our Savior, our Lord, who is sovereign over all,
1: told us we need to go. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, God has ordained for us to go. That's, that's the way people hear the message of the gospel. And God has ordained it that people will be saved by hearing the word of God, Amen. which goes back to what we said about God being sovereign in creation he moves by the word, by his word. Mm. So his word brings creation to be, and his word redeems people. And so I, I, would, I would kind of object back to that <clears throat> objection, Bobby, with, with two things. I would say, well, <clears throat> first of all, we go with confidence. Mm. We go to Guatemala, to New York City, to if the Lord wills to the ends of the earth, knowing that in our preaching, God has people there. And when we preach the gospel, their hearts and eyes will be opened to the light of the gospel. They will repent of their sin and by God's grace be saved. Well, and that's what we do each Sunday. Right. Right. We,
0: we come expecting that same thing.
1: Right. And so that would be my big thing is, okay, so we go with confidence knowing that when we preach the gospel, God will call his people. And then my objection back to that, especially would be, well, why do you go? Because if I go hoping that God might save, then really it becomes about how, how good of an orator I might be, how good of a convincer I might be. You know, did I preach well enough today? That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And I remember telling, I remember prepping our team to go to Guatemala and telling them, looking them in the eyes, we're about to go into the city and saying, you don't have to carry the pressure of convincing someone to follow Jesus. Preach the gospel and watch God do his work. That's what we do. And that's why we go is because Romans 10 is true for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Like everyone who does that, but it has this caveat. How are they to call on it, uh, call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news and preach the good news. So <laughs> faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And the Bible- that's why we go. Sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. No, you're good. And the Bible gives us
3: a perfect example of that in Acts 16, 14. uh, I'll start in 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened our heart to pay attention to what was said by paul it is the lord that works in our lives and in our hearts and opens up our minds when the word is spoken
2: well and to go back to what you said uh johnny the reason we go out with with confidence is to uh, not only trust the gospel as the power to god unto salvation but also that god has people everywhere we look at acts 8 18 9 and 10 That's good. and the lord said to paul one night in a vision do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many people yeah. in that city. God had people already so going before him, so right? This is why we trust. This is why we, when we're simply faithful to proclaim, we rest in that. We, we can fine tune, we can question, we can learn facts, we can do whatever we please to hone in our arguments. That's good. But we will not argue someone into the kingdom. Yeah. We simply proclaim the gospel in power, trusting that God is mighty to save, not that we must talk them into it. Imagine the amount of blood on our hands if it was up to us to talk them into it. Imagine how many times we've failed. What, what this does is it takes the pressure off us and allows us to simply be faithful in every area of life, not to come up with a really good argument, but to simply proclaim the gospel in spirit and truth.
0: Can, can you imagine the joy of going if that is how we did it. Just, just went knowing that it's not on us to do it, that God has, has already provided just like you read a minute ago, pastor. I think as a, as a young person growing up and you all may have experienced the same thing. That is not how it was portrayed. It was, you need to make sure that you have all of these things memorized and that. Uh, it, it almost turned into a, convincing and, and, but that's not what has to take place no. because God is sovereign
2: yeah, because it's a synergistic mode and, that, and again we freely conceded at the very beginning of episode uh, 7a was we, we hold the minority position in the church today and that is because most people give people far more credit than they're available to have outside of Christ um, and so what we would simply say is they must be born again The way that happens is the faithful proclamation of the gospel.
1: Amen. That's good. So if we're all right with that, which might not be the case. (laughs) So we've gotten this far. Okay, so it's God alone that works. Um, The Holy Spirit of God blows wherever he wishes. God chooses and calls freely. We go and proclaim that gospel and the sheep of Christ hear his voice. Okay, so isn't that a little unfair? Like, didn't Jesus die for everyone? Like isn't that what John three sixteen says? Isn't isn't that what first John two two says? Isn't that what First Timothy two three says that that everyone and Jesus is a propitiation for our sins, but not our sins only, but the sins of the entire world. God loves the world so much that He sent His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Like, so how how do those two things come together? Because you, you talked about Pastor Aaron, God or Jesus accomplishing perfectly, not potentially. So so how does that how does that work?
3: Yeah.
1: It's not my word; it's God's word. Um, Romans nine.
3: Mic drop. <laughs> Dang, and, Gary. We were supposed to
2: explain it, man. It's not, it's not a, my word. It's God's word.
3: It's not my word. I like that disclaimer. I got to start using that one. Then we're
2: done.
3: <laughs> Romans 9, starting verse 13. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I, I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, Mm -hmm. but on God who has mercy. The Bible also exclaims that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Who is his counselor? The Bible proclaims. Mm -hmm. The Bible in Job... um, I know I've said this before to you guys, but it's true. I was, first time I was like really studying the Old Testament, I got to the book of Job and I fell off the couch laughing because <laughs> the Lord owned, <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, where were you when I took the measurements of the earth? Sure. Like, I, I, what can you say to that, to the Lord? Right. You know, so who, who, and the Bible also Says, "Oh man, who are you to speak back to God? Has yeah. the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use?" In verse twenty, like I said, "But who are you, oh man, to answer back to God?" Those are God's words. Not that's not Gary. Gary didn't make that up.
2: Well, if you if you're having the same objections. As the objector in Romans nine that Paul is referring to and answering, then you're on the wrong side of this argument. Um, but to go back to to your what the objections that are very common that you brought up that are very good, Johnny, we've we've made a massive case in my opinion, a very very tight case up to this point. But people are still willing to throw it away because of the verses that you mentioned. And what I would ask is for people to read them in context um, when. When Paul is speaking, when Jesus is speaking, um, when Peter is speaking, make sure we always understand one thing. When we read, well, as many have said, well, there's three things that you need to understand when you read the Bible. And it's context, context, context. Mm-hmm. Who's being written to, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was an issue. We know this. How, how much did the Jews have this superiority complex to look at the Gentiles as dogs Mm -hmm. and so Peter and others and John were writing and saying Jesus died for not only the sins of us because not all of Israel was Israel right? right so you can't make that argument that it's just a big nation thing even in the midst of Israel there were those who were not truly of Israel but he's telling them that not only our sins but sins from those of every tribe tongue and nation will be paid for by Jesus Christ, you have to understand that there will be Gentiles in the kingdom with you. And so what we would look back at is we would combat those verses with verses like when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for who? His sheep. His sheep. That's a specific group. And Jesus would also, was also spoken of as giving his life as a ransom for many, mm-hmm. not all. Okay. So if we've got these all verses and we've got these particularity verses here and God does not uh, contradict himself, right? Right. His, His word from beginning to end flows perfectly as he designed, then how do we marry those things? What we would not say is all without qualification. We would say all of those who are his chosen, all who are the elect those are his sheep those are the ones who will hear his voice and the others again do not get anything unfair they get justice which is what each of us deserve and just think for a second about how beautiful that is and all the glory goes to our king because he alone is worthy he's done this for us when we didn't deserve it and and we go further into more objections and we say If Jesus Christ paid for the sins of all mankind and there are men in hell right now, men, women, and children in hell say right now, paying for their sins, then what did Jesus pay for? He was not a savior. He was just a potentiality. He made men to choose what he says in his own word they cannot on their own.
1: That's that and that
2: would, would be unkind it wouldn't even be potential at
1: that point it would be ineffective it'd
2: be yeah. ineffective completely, so that would mean that it was actually possible that Jesus saved no one yeah, but what we would say is not a droplet of Jesus's blood was wasted, it came and it was applied, and it was shed exactly for all and it's definitely It's definite, be yeah. Yeah, that's right exactly
1: yeah that's good I th- I think that's a really important uh Important topic to look at because it's an objection. I mean, I know that that I really held on to for a long time, Mm -hmm. and you know, if, if I'm being honest, I still look to a lot because it's a hard one to really wrap your mind around. But once again, it then if 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 that one kind of falls, if that domino falls for me, I would struggle having the confidence to go preach the gospel. I would I would struggle. Uh, sharing the gospel thinking, well, I'll have to be a good convincer or something like that. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if Jesus, if Jesus' blood wasn't enough, <laughs> then what are, what, what could we even do? What could we even offer to anyone? There's nothing. I think that's why it's important to, to ask those really tough questions.
2: Well, even Paul, as brilliant as he was, says, I don't come with eloquent, eloquent speech. Yeah. And we're like, what? <laughs> you are a right. much more eloquent speecher than me, right? <laughs> like You are I, better speecher than me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. not even close to your level and you say this? Well, why? Because even as brilliant as he was, even as
0: well-studied as he was, God alone got the glory from Paul.
2: Yeah. Amen. That's
0: good. Yeah. yeah. So we could... We can continue this on, or if we want to kind of let this bleed on over into the sovereignty over the affairs of men, we can, we can move in that direction because we are kind of leaning that way anyway um, when we talk about um, the will of man. And, um, you know, we, we mentioned this last week's uh, podcast. There's really not much of a disagreement over God being sovereign. We all would agree with that. And most most would. But the disagreement oftentimes is to what extent uh, that it's applied and mainly focused on uh, wills over the affairs of men. And so uh, let's go there uh, and and we can start off. I've got a couple of objection objections. God's sovereignty over the affairs of man, even when bad things happen, even when we choose sin, What what is this all kind of looking like here um, with God's sovereignty? Like would a sovereign God really let that happen kind of argument?
1: The simple answer is yes. <laughs> and, and that's not very easy to swallow many times, but there are many times that God in Scripture is ordaining, you know, for... Israel to be judged by their destruction, and and then God holds the nations accountable that destroyed Israel. And well, and, right. and we brought that up on um, on abortion on the abortion podcast, yeah, yeah, right? And and so, yeah the the simple answer is yes, because God is holy and righteous, and and in control. We have to understand that there is a a standard that's to be held, and men still make choices that they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, and God being holy is still going to hold people accountable for those choices, but God is sovereign in every way that he uses, even the evil choices of men to accomplish his purposes. And we see that all throughout scripture. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll go to a a few places there. That's, what's really important. I, I would, I would say all that really hinges upon, okay, if I believe that God's sovereign in creation, if I believe God's sovereign in salvation, how would I not believe that God's sovereign over the affairs of men? How, how could I come to any different conclusion?
2: Well, I I think of, you know, one place that I wanted to go to, uh, of course, that, that kind of just not only backs up, but just kind of concretes what we just said about salvation is the golden chain of redemption, right? The sovereign working of God and salvation, to, to go back to that, but the verse before it, which we refer to a lot, which is on everyone's walls at the house, people have tats of it, um, t-shirts of it. it. It's Romans eight twenty eight. Everyone loves that, but they hate the part that comes after it. So they stop right there. But but let's read it together. Let's understand something that we say often here at Eden Chapel. But I don't want to take for granted that those who are listening haven't heard haven't heard before. But Romans eight twenty eight through thirty is basically 29 and 30 are what's known as the golden chain of redemption but listen to this it says and we know that for those who love god all things work together for good for those who are called those who are called according to his purpose so all things all things in creation he's sovereign over he's working them for good no matter if they seem good or bad in our part no matter if we suffer loss or we have great gain or blessing God is working those things for our good. That's Him being sovereign over the affairs of men. But it continues on. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. The reason why we trust in God's sovereignty over things is because He perfectly works these things out. Every one of those steps are being accomplished by God. So if he is sovereign in creation and bringing us about, if he's sovereign in our our salvation and calling us out and separating us, then he will be sovereign in completing the work that he set us apart to do. He'll be behind that. He'll lead us through that. And scripture says he will conform us into the image of his son until our faith becomes sight, until we are one day before the author of our salvation.
1: And I think we are we we would all readily say around this table, our testimony is marked with things we could have never imagined God using for our good and for His glory, and we've seen it time and time again, you know, I think of my own life, I think of um even my my wickedness and sinfulness when I was in high school, and just how like some of the things that I was doing like and how God's used that even today, and how I talked to a student maybe going through a similar time. I think of my mom and dad's death and I think of how God used that in a powerful way. I think of, I think of our time this past summer with Damien. I, in the middle of that, I couldn't imagine God using any of that and just to see like time and time again, God powerfully using it for his glory. And like all of that was once again, where we kind of started, as Charles Spurgeon said, like the sovereignty of God, that was the only reason I could lay my head down at night was to know that he was in, he was in control. As David said, like I went to bed tonight and I, I I woke up because you sustained me. And and that's, that's the only reason I could lay my head down was because I knew that God was in control. Mm -hmm. And saying that being completely open and honest going, there were some tough nights where it was just like, I don't even know if I'll wake up tomorrow because it was just so hard in those moments.
0: There, there's a huge amount of comfort there if we can get to that yeah. place yeah
3: and just not to be uh, I'm just trying to be uh, as frank as I can about God's word uh, for new and predestined Forenew new in the dictionary means to know beforehand uh, predestined means to destine and advance, foreordain, predetermine. Um, so I don't, um, it's difficult for me to understand how someone can get something different than what that means new or predestined. Um, it, it's strange to me um, that, When one preaches on predestination or foreknew, um, they come up with some different meaning for it.
2: Right. Right. Foreknowing is an intimate, is a very intimate, uh, it has a very intimate definition. It's not simply, oh, I knew them, so I chose them out of the world. We understand God did not look down the quarters of time and learn anything, He created knowing the beginning from the end, but he did not look at Bobby as, as Johnny was kind of alluding to earlier in our earlier episode and say, well, I've got to have him on our te- on my team, or I'll just never be able to do this, yeah. you know, or, or I see that Bobby will have faith. So I'm going to choose him. We make very little of God's choice to elevate our own. Now, how arrogant is that, that the pot is saying to the potter exactly what you read a few times, G. We're actually taking, again, if we're on the side of the objector that Paul is is illustrating, then we're on the wrong side. Something needs to change. I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. We've all been there and many of us are going through it right now. But my friends, I would urge you to think about what glorifies God more to say, I owe all to you or you did the best you could and now I'll take it from here. Yeah. No, we know God's sovereignly working from beginning to end, understanding that everything happens for his purpose and for his glory. Proverbs sixteen thirty three said, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And it goes back to Genesis 20, which we, we read probably by the time this comes out a month or two ago. <laughs> um, but it talks about Abimelech. This was one of the times when Abraham, the man of God, the man of faith, didn't trust God, right? And he said that Sarah was my sister. And Abimelech takes her in because he wants to marry her, which is pretty amazing. She's in her 90s. She must have been pretty fly for an old chick, right? God bless her. Uh, she was beautiful. And, but God came to him and said, guess what, brother? You're going to die. And he's like, what? I've not touched her. And he said, I know you haven't touched her because I kept you from her, right? So if God is not sovereign over the, the affairs of men, then that, that whole story and many
1: others would be very meaningless to us. Right, I think probably one of the most in-your-face ways to see God's sovereignty over the affairs of man is in the story of Joseph. You have, you have this brother whom the rest of his brothers are jealous of and probably rightfully so kind of weird relationship that that he has with Jacob. Right. And so he has this coat and he gets sold into slavery after they almost kill him, you know? And so God sustains him sold into slavery, goes into Egypt and through a crazy amount of circumstances, you know, goes first to Potiphar's household, then to prison and then into Pharaoh's palace. I mean, second in command over all of Egypt. And when, when his brothers finally, you know, it's revealed to them, it, we, we get this verse once again that we can claim it sounds really cool, but do we really see like the power of what's going on? And like, what if we all thought like Joseph here? Because it's a pretty powerful um, statement that he says. He says, he says, it says that Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph sees the same action, the evil actions of his brothers, as the sovereign action of God to put him in the place that he is so that many people are kept alive. Well they, they did yeah. exactly
2: what they wanted to they do, did what right, They, wanted to do. they yeah. freely chose. Yep, exactly what they wanted to do. I didn't
1: make them choose. Exactly and and joseph sees that them doing what they wanted to do was g- god being sovereign over the entire situation for everything that came against him you know it's it's like he was preaching romans 8 to us right yeah. there in genesis 50 yeah. Is he goes for those who love god all things are working together for good yeah. for those who are calling to according to his purpose mm-hmm. and and he sees what's happening to him as you know, I think he would greatly testify. That was conforming me into the image of Jesus. Mm. And uh, I think that's, if we could think like that, like anything happening to us, God has ordained or allowed for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Mm. And so what we could look at, even the evil done against us and say what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And that's a that's a really comforting place to lay your head. And
0: let's be clear, that's not... Necessarily the, necessarily the easiest thing to do in the midst of trial absolutely, or, or whatever's going on. But imagine if we can do that, the glory uh, that we can push back at God if we're able to be like Joseph yeah. and, and many others throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, and say that even through this, even through the mess uh, that God was sovereign and God was in control, And I'm where I'm supposed to be, and I went through what I was supposed to go through, all for His glory.
1: Yeah, and I I would say maybe my final, really thought on this whole thing is, especially when we think about God being sovereign in the affairs of men, God is sovereign even over our sin, and what I mean by that is I can't sin so much that it messes up how God has ordained for things to work out. I'm not that powerful. Amen. Thank God. And God's God's grace is better. God is more powerful than I am. And so, I mean, once again, we see this throughout Scripture. Men make terrible mistakes, which is why I, I really cleaned to the authority of the Bible. If I was going to write something about how good and merciful and gracious and wonderful God is and how his people should be, I probably would have left out David sleeping with Bathsheba and killing Uriah because... That doesn't make a great case for a uh, man after God's own heart, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But what it shows is like in the fallenness of man, in the, in the sinful disobedience that David, once again, freely chose, mm-hmm. yeah. God works and does something that only a sovereign king could do. Well,
2: doesn't that give us all hope? Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> as wicked as we are that we have hope, we think back to um, Pharaoh in the hardening of his heart, yeah. right? And, and we have a misconception there that I'll that I'll go through very briefly. But when we think of the hardening of the heart, so many people misconstrue that as God leaning yeah. in and making him more sinful than he than he would want to be on his own. No, no, no. The, it's the picture of God removing His hand. Yeah. Whenever God brings judgment, it's known as in Scripture of Him removing His hand, yeah. allowing people to be more well actually as sinful as they want to be. Yeah. But God is actually restraining evil right now. Men are not as wicked as they want to be, and we praise him for it because men are very
1: wicked uh, within their own hearts. Yeah, what, what does Paul Washer say? You know, If it weren't for God's common grace, we would all make Hitler look like a choir boy. Mm. And that, that's how wicked we really are. Mm. And so that's, that's a great way to think of it is when, when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, it's not like he's pressing it down and forcing him to be this evil person He's just removing his hand from him Mm -hmm. and like letting go of that common grace towards him and letting Pharaoh do exactly what he wants to do. I think as we are wrapping up this whole thing,
0: um, maybe a few key points from each of you. If you've got something lastly you want to say, Uh, I feel like this is a topic that we could just keep going on and on and on over. and it Rightfully so. Don't get me wrong there. Um, Definitely. Uh, vital, uh, but just a few final words from each of you. If you don't care, and we'll wrap up today's session. Well, I would I
2: would encourage people to read Ezekiel thirty six. Um, if you if you want to see God's sovereignty and look at how many things that you accomplish, God says I will I will I will about eighty times, and every one of those acts is for His own glory. But my my last thought is just to read a passage of scripture found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. And then I'm done and I'll leave it to you, men. It says, The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not, not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his, his anointed. That's sovereignty.
1: I would, I would just say that if God is not sovereign in creation, salvation, and the affairs of men, he's not God. I trust in the God who is in control of it all. And as much as that hits me in my pride, and as much as I don't want to relinquish that, like somehow I might have the power to affect something in such a way that it would cause like a problem for God. I I find great comfort in knowing that. I'm not that powerful that I'm the created one and God is creator. And I think of what scripture says, like he, he declares the, the end from the beginning mm-hmm. and he's sovereign over it all. Like he, he, he knows thoughts. He knows the number of hairs on our head. As we say, at Eden chapel, not too or hard so, for, or some for some, some of, of y'all's beards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the beard counts, he's got right? Head. He's yeah. Got, he's got hair on his <laughs> yeah. head. He's yeah. A... And so once again, I just kind of keep going back to, that that quote from Spurgeon the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which we rest our head and that's that's where my comfort lies is knowing as we sang this morning my God is in control Mm -hmm. and and if I if I trust that then I know that my salvation's secure because if I'm not in control of that that's a good thing (laughs) because I wouldn't be saved if I had any say in that at all
3: for me, just as a personal note, I am always in awe and really still to this day struggle to understand why me, why, hmm. like, the, like the Lord could have left me right where I was doing all the filthy things that I was doing. But God, Amen. 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 being rich in mercy yes. because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. Mm-hmm. By grace, we, we have been saved. That, that, that is, and that is nothing I, I have done. That is all the Lord and what he and his sovereign um, mercy and grace has done. And I'm in awe of that every day. Good stuff, guys. Well, again, thank you all.
0: Every um, you listener, I hope that our discussion today has um, given you some information to help you uh, along your journey, and I hope that you enjoyed it. And Gary, will you close us in prayer? Yes.
3: Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord, for uh, for this ability to be able to do this podcast, Lord. What a privilege we have to be able to proclaim your word to others, Lord, mm-hmm. to proclaim the gospel of which your son, his death, burial, and resurrection, Lord, of which without we have no chance of salvation, but by repenting, believing in our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, um, we May have newness of life. We may have a, a new heart, Lord, um, in place of the old um, made of stone. And Lord, I I thank you for my uh, for the church, for the people here, for the hearts uh, and willingness to serve and to love others, Lord. And I pray that this podcast continue, that we continue to grow uh, in the, in you, Lord, in your word. Uh, help us to uh, honor you and glorify you and all that we do and say here Lord in your name we pray amen. amen.
0: Again thank you brothers love you guys fantastic today. Thank you for joining us today on the EC podcast. If you do not have a church family, you can join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. If you're outside of the area, we encourage you to find the Bible-believing church for fellowship and worship. Until next time, God bless.